Support for the interchange comes from Wonder Capital, the easiest way to invest in large-scale solar projects across the U.S. With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com/gtm. That's Wonder with a U. wondercapital.com/gtm. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. The interchange is also brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group, a global leader in balance of systems solutions for solar and storage. Shoals has been serving EPCs with the highest quality combiner boxes, junction boxes, wires, racking, and monitoring solutions for over two decades. Shoals is the gold standard for solar and storage. To learn about how Shoals can make your project operate at the highest level, go to shoals.com. That's S H O A L S shoals.com. What is blockchain? Is it the next internet, or is it just a series of souped-up intranets for verifying stuff, or more like the open-source operating system Linux? At this point, it's both all and none of those things, because blockchain is largely untested compared to its potential. We know it's transformative; we just don't know exactly how. So this week on the interchange, we use our imaginations and explore what energy blockchain could become. I know what you're thinking. How much could these guys cover this subject? We had an episode on it last week, but as promised, this is part two of our blockchain series because we had so many ideas flowing out of our blockchain and energy forum last month. We decided to fit it into two episodes. So later in the show, we're going to talk with Kristen Brown, a business tech expert at Commonwealth Edison, about how the utility envisions blockchain fitting into its operations. And we'll talk with Michael Horowitz, a partner with Green Tech Capital Advisors, about how he eyes investment opportunities. First, I'm with my co-host Shail Khan, the senior VP of Research and Strategy at Energy Impact Partners, who also happens to be eyeing investment opportunities there.、Um, Shail, are you sick of talking about this subject yet? Well, <laughs> one of the greatest things about blockchain to me is that I. I and I think it seems to be everybody else in the world never gets sick of talking about it. Like the <laughs> the endless conversations are my favorite part about this blockchain phenomenon. That does not necessarily mean that I think we should be talking about it all the time on this podcast forever. I think we need to cut ourselves off at some point because blockchain is like very exciting, but also you know probably the smallest thing happening in electricity today. Just as it pertains to like the actual transformation occurring beneath our feet, so、uh, I love talking about it, but but we can't do it every week. I think we're good at rationalizing what's happening in in the sector. We've seen bubbles in clean tech before, so we're well aware that we're in the midst of some sort of bubble right now. But by talking about it over and over again, we feed into we feed into that bubble. Well, and the hype cycle itself by talking about it and by referencing the internet. Like, there's no more, right? <clears throat> you know, if you want to come up with the. Uh, description of blockchain that sort of feeds the most into the bubble. It's calling it the next internet. No doubt,、um, but I use it because it's a common comparison, and and I actually do think it's quite helpful when envisioning its potential. One guy who I know who doesn't grow tired of talking about this subject is my boss and GTM's chairman Scott Clavena. He's back with us this week. Hey, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me back on. What did you think about that internet comparison? Yeah, it's、uh, blockchain has this way of lending itself to comparisons like that because it is such a flexible, extensible platform. But people have a tendency to jump far, far into the future with when you when you encounter technological platforms like this. It, it unleashes a kind of creative thinking that takes you as far as you can go very quickly, and I think that's 
I think it's good to get people engaged in it and get developers working on it and get the get this really moving. But it is uh, it's a big risk in terms of the amount of hype it generates. It's certainly a risk for people who start throwing money at um, blockchain startups from their personal bank accounts and without any understanding of blockchain, the applications or, you know, how they will create value over time. So that's probably the most worrisome thing to me is that there's just a lot of people that are going to get burned here because it feels like the next internet, but no one has any way of knowing if it actually is. And to that point about people getting burned, I mean, we're seeing that happen already, not as much in the energy blockchain sector yet, but there are all these super scary statistics. If you look at the people who are tracking the proportion of companies that have held ICOs, coin offerings over the past couple of years and and how many of them are still operating, let alone succeeding on the plans that they set out. I mean, it's a minority share, which means that a lot of the money that went into those ICOs has just disappeared. When the dumb money shows up, it's time to get out is a quote I saw on the the, the internet bubble. And I think it applies here too. You know what I like? Another quote that I like is that I heard on a panel I was uh, hosting a few months ago here in Boston, that typically with transformative technologies like this, there's a strong tendency to overestimate the near-term impact of it, as well as an equally strong tendency to underestimate the long-term impact of the technology. And I think that's where everyone gets caught right now with blockchain, is that you can see that long-term technology impact but to actually believe it will materialize in months is a huge mistake. And it, it, it does generate all of these, all of the craziness and froth and sketchy business plans. And even in energy, start thinking about transforming the entire electricity system with it as though it's going to happen overnight. And, and so I think as it doesn't, you go through this hype cycle of vastly over, overstated expectations early proof of concepts or trials don't work out. And then the naysayers can come right in and be like, ah, see, this was all just hype. It was a bubble. It was worthless. But while that's going on, there's this work, you know, this sort of cyclical iterative work to make um, a technology more robust and more applicable. And it eventually happens, but that could be 10, 20 years. And I think there's very little patience for that um, in technology markets these days. And I think that's the, the pull and tug we'll see in blockchain. I would add to that in the energy sector in particular, and this wasn't, it's not like this wasn't true of telecommunications, but it seems especially true in energy is that you can do all the work that you could possibly imagine on the technology overnight, and you still have pretty significant regulatory barriers, especially to actually getting widespread adoption of any of the things that would be truly transformative about blockchain and energy. So, and that, that the time horizons for regulatory change are notoriously slow. So, you know, that part of the reason we've talked about this before, for example, last week we were talking about peer to peer, you know, a big part of the reason why peer to peer right now is largely living in pilots in certain countries or in certain other small applications behind the meter is because the market mechanisms aren't there to support peer-to-peer economically in most of the U.S., for example. And that's a function of market design and the regulatory construct more than it's a function of whether blockchain could actually solve anything. So so let's kind of center back to the initial theme, which is where is this whole blockchain thing going to take us? Um, what's the pathway we're on currently 
Do you guys have a sense of where we're headed right now, given the current state of tech and applications? Well, it seems clear to me that where we are headed, at least in the short term right now, is toward the massive proliferation of pilots. There are you know, dozens of pilots already underway of blockchain in energy applications of various kinds. There's the peer-to-peer stuff. There's the asset tokenization stuff. There's other models. They're all in pilot phase. And I think we're still at the beginning of the the proliferation of pilots. So I think we're going to see dozens, if not even hundreds more pilots pop up over the next few years. Not for for many reasons, but one of them being, you know, utilities like pilots. Utilities are interested in this and they they can handle running a pilot pro- program to try to learn. Meanwhile, in the absence of the regulatory construct to support a lot of these applications, you've got places where you can do a pilot that is a smaller market or has a regulatory sandbox or something. So I feel like we're headed toward a world for the next few years where you're just going to see a ton of these individual pilots how and where it then scales from pilot to widespread commercial scale, I think is a lot less clear. Yeah, it's very unclear to me exactly what application wins out when many of these pilots shake out. What is clearer is that uh, utility pilots don't result in overnight successes. And a couple of times when I've had conversations with folks, I've referenced the stimulus funds that went toward smart grid uh, rollouts, basically based around uh, advanced metering infrastructure. And uh, we saw this proliferation of smart meters, but it really took a decade for companies to actually figure out what to do with those smart meters. But I actually think that the smart grid analogy, in my mind, might be a better one than the internet analogy for blockchain, because what happened with smart grid was there was a heavy hype cycle, you know, in what, 2006 through 2009, maybe something like that. A lot of money flowed into it. In that case, it was stimulus money in the US, but, you know, globally, a lot of money flowed into smart grid. There was a period of disillusionment when things were going slowly. Um, but the result is that, and, and also today, we don't really talk about smart grid all that much. It's a term that has sort of lost its luster. But the result has been that we have a lot of the things that we talked about over a decade ago that were going to happen on the smart grid. We have widespread rollout of AMI. You know, most of the US now, more than 50% of customers have smart meters. We have distribution automation. A lot of the, the distribution grid technology that was talked about is being rolled out. It's taking a long time to become ubiquitous, but it is happening all across the grid. We we're doing better at um, responding to outages. You can look at just comparisons of, say, FPL's grid in Florida um, from a big hurricane a decade ago to the big hurricane that we had in 2017. And the response time and the recovery time was like an order of magnitude faster. So the grid has gotten a lot better. And much of that has been thanks to smart grid investments. Just what happened is we moved on from the hype of the smart grid. And it's just sort of fell into the background of of how electricity operates. And that's sort of how I feel like in the even in the positive version, I think that's how blockchain ends up. Like I don't want to see a company calling itself a blockchain company five years from now. I want to see a company calling itself a distributed energy marketplace or a renewable energy developer or something. And just happens to be that the mechanism that they use to finance their projects or to trade or whatever it is is built upon blockchain. But I don't see any reason why blockchain is the second word in your company's tagline. Here, here. 
Sure. You know what I would say too? I mean, that's a good point about smart grid. And I think what actually, when I got interested in blockchain a few years ago, it was for that very reason that I, doing some research and looking at the state of smart grid, how it had gone through the, the cycles that you mentioned, the next step in it really did seem to be limited by um, the ability for these utility networks to actually expose that data adequately, to share that data among different layers of the network from the, the local distribution to sort of larger area and then up into wholesale and, and pass data among them to expose um, any requirements for generation, load management, you know, any of that. And I think what blockchain could do when we're looking about when we're looking at it, certainly in the context of this conversation, not the global, you know, cryptocurrency you know, craze or anything, but just electricity systems. It is to me, it maybe it is just smart grid 2.0 and that's fine. And you don't call it blockchain companies anymore. It is exactly those kind of firms using a software layer to do much uh, more ubiquitous data exchange among layers in a utility network. And uh, even just separating out the notion of asset finance, even if we just look at like the utility, um, that blockchain could be the next level of smart grid where there's a means of compensation, there's a means of data exchange that's standardized, that's low cost, that's easy to just port onto any existing, uh, you know, smart meter system or you know meter data management system that it's there providing that next step which is if you're in a, a smart grid market that has a lot of distributed resources and those resources are not just generation but they're loads and iot devices anything with data and information here's a way to stitch it all together assign value to that expose that to the right players in the marketplace and start a new means of compensation for energy services that to me is actually still exciting, even if it takes 10 or 20 years, it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. But that to me is exciting because it is to represents to me like the opening up that bottleneck that exists today and like really how to do network wide data exchange and compensation in a way that's not happening very effectively today. I think one of the things that the description that you just offered recognizes, though, that is important is that blockchain alone can't enable what you're talking about. Add a layer of blockchain today and the values of resources at various places on the grid at various times are still not exposed. And so you still, you know, there's all this work that had been going on before the blockchain hype cycle really picked up that was around how do we value these resources? How do we, you know, people talked about transactive energy for years before blockchain. People talked about locational valuation of, of resources. Like those things I think still have to happen. You, blockchain doesn't leapfrog those. Blockchain is a mechanism such that once you have those things, you can act upon them in a, a seamless, trustworthy manner. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Smart meters, mil meter data management, derms, all that needs to be out there. Uh, all It all needs to be well understood. It needs to be nearly ubiquitous because you can't leave certain resources behind necessarily. Um, so it's, there is a ways to go. And I think that's good. I mean, that's what you want. It's not like blockchain is going to swoop in and just uh, push out all these other vendors and take over the entire landscape. But it does to me still feel like a missing layer that if it's done right, 
actually does move this Margaret vision to that next step. That's a pretty significant step. Yeah, I like that version of it. I mean, the, the thing that that um, bugs me then is the sort of really high level descriptions. For example, even there was a piece in Bloomberg, I think, this week that said blockchain could be the end, could mark the end of utilities. And I, you know, maybe this is one of those cases where I don't see, you know, I'm I'm uh, underestimating the long term impact of blockchain, but I don't see how it does that. So let's imagine a different future in which blockchain doesn't take off or it becomes, you know, just a siloed way to better access records or verify transactions without this industry-wide transformative impact. What is the likely reason that that happens? Yeah, I could I could sort of see that happen. There's there's definitely other technologies in the past that have had a lot of promise and make it through a hype cycle, but then don't really go any farther. There's technologies in wireless networking and uh, data networking that had a lot of hype and then got far along, but just didn't actually do anything transformative. And now they're just some of the technology layer for you know, voice over internet or wireless mesh networking. There's things like that that have happened that did okay. And I think if that were to happen, it's probably because... Um, some of the core values proposed about blockchain just don't come true. And, and I would assume that you'd have to put the cybersecurity element of blockchain, which is really touted as um, something unique and uh, highly valuable, and particularly to um, any kind of marketplace, and that would be clear here in the electricity system, that if the cybersecurity element of blockchain just proves to be as hackable as everything else, um, even though the ledger itself is ostensibly immutable, that there are other ways into it via, you know, hacking people's wallets or what have you, or hacking the data that gets written onto the blockchain. And then how do you fix it once it's there? If that happens, I think utilities for sure, anything in a regulated environment are going to get very afraid of it. And so then it could just be relegated to niche little applications where its security isn't the key feature, but other things around its um, ability to exchange data between different systems or um, uh, things that don't tie it to actual money, then it's a niche product for sure. I would, I, I think that's, that's one way that it could happen. And, you know, to give an example of that, that's relevant, sort of an example of that that's relevant to the electricity sector would be the wave of deregulation of electricity markets in the U.S., in the 80s, uh, which in the 90s that that ended, right? We made it through, I think 17 states ended up with retail choice and then we stopped um, partially because of the Enron debacle in California. But in general, the you know peop- we fell out of love with the idea um, and the regulators fell out of love and so we stopped doing it. And so you could imagine at some point, you know, blockchain starts to proliferate for various applications and various purposes, something goes wrong and it ends there. Um, and then you have at least a multi-decade process of of bringing it back. The other thing that I would say is, to me, the long-term impact of blockchain is inextricably tied to the trend of decentralization of energy. You know, it's there. There are some blockchain applications that are not tied to this necessarily, but the ones that are really transformative are based on the idea that we are going to have an ever-increasing proliferation of small nodes on the grid that can transact and are controllable and have value and for which trading makes sense. 
um, and that blockchain will be a, a catalyst in enabling that to happen. So whether or not blockchain exists, that trend of decentralization is not guaranteed and the pace of that trend is not guaranteed. So if anything slows that down, it just makes blockchain um, all the less valuable as a as a transformative tool on the grid. Okay, so we've decided that this is the last time we're going to be talking about blockchain for a little while. That brings me to the last question, which is what would need to happen? We, we see an announcement every day. You know, we, There's a new blockchain company or a couple blockchain companies sprouting up in the energy space every week. So what would need to happen for us to revisit this concept once again? Shale? Well, first I would note, I have a Google News Alert set up for the the keywords blockchain and energy, and it is not one announcement a day. It is like 12 a day of new companies or new deployments or new websites picking up the blockchain is going to revolutionize energy storyline. It is a st- I have a bunch of Google News Alerts, and this one picks up more than any other one that I've got. Anyway, um, I think that I think that the thing that would make us want to revisit this is uh, a significant acquisition. There's tons of investment now going into, and and investment in the form of ICOs, but increasingly venture investment as well, going into blockchain energy companies and startups. And that's going to continue for a while, I'm sure. But, you know, what would be interesting is to see uh, an actual acquisition by an incumbent large player of some sort buying a blockchain-based energy company because they will have done significantly more diligence. There will have been some, presumably some, you know, commercial proof from that company. There will have been a clear business model, one would hope, which is something that's missing from a lot of these blockchain companies. So that would be a mark of maturation of the sector and also, you know, the per, perhaps the beginning of the next wave where we start to see a lot more M&A as opposed to just investment. Yeah, I like that. Um, I can think of two one would be, and this may be a while, so you may not hear from us for uh, more than a year, but I, I think one that we definitely want to talk about is if a utility moves from pilot to an actual deployment. So they really put stakes in the ground and and uh, are making that investment. Probably can't rate base it because it's just IT infrastructure. So they're that convinced it's uh, it's worth the investment and that cost savings or you know something comes of it. Uh, so I think that, would be a real signal that a utility has taken that next step. Um, and then maybe on a somewhat lighter note, we may want to talk about it if Elon Musk announces he's getting into blockchain in some fashion. You mean you're talking about as a, as a news organization, putting Elon Musk and blockchain in the title of an article would blow up the Green Tech Media website. That's what you're, <laughs> that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Oh, and one last thing. Read Scott Clavenna's column on blockchain at GTM Squared. It's the best accounting of applications you'll read anywhere. It's worth the price of admission. You can become a square at greentechmedia.com slash squared. So it's not exactly easy to figure out how to invest in blockchain yet in the energy sector, but it is easy to invest in commercial scale solar with Wonder Capital. Individual investors like you 
have the opportunity to help Wonder finance commercial solar projects by investing in their solar investment funds. In 2017, Wonder Capital financed approximately 40 megawatts of commercial solar. In 2018, Wonder Capital expects to finance approximately 120 megawatts of commercial solar. GTM Research ranks it number eight on their list of the top 15 commercial solar players. To date, Wonder has financed more than 180 commercial-scale solar projects across the U.S., and you can get in on the investment fund. Visit wondercapital.com GTM. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com GTM, to find out how you can begin investing in solar energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually. wondercapital.com GTM. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. We're also supported by Shoals Technologies Group, a leading manufacturer of balance of systems solutions for solar and storage. You've heard me say it here. The Shoals slogan, it's really good. Inventing simple. It doesn't matter what the product is. A combiner box, a junction box, an inline fuse, a monitoring system. Shoals makes it with the highest performance standards and a drive toward elegance. It has this new BLA solution. And it embodies this approach to designing products. It's an integrated wire harness that eliminates combiner boxes altogether and significantly lowers installation costs. Shoals has been serving the solar industry since 1996. Its products are featured on some of the world's biggest solar projects. So if you're looking to step up your game with the best balance of system solutions in the industry, including the BLA solution, contact Shoals. You can find out more at Shoals.com. That's S-H-O-A-L-S.com. Okay, it's pretty clear energy blockchain is in the early smart grid days from like 10 years ago. Vendors and utilities are bold on vision, but still incremental in deployment. The difference is that today we're way further along in adoption of distributed energy and data collection, so the blockchain software layer could catch on much faster. It is a very different environment. So let's turn to a regulated utility thinking about that environment. Commonwealth Edison is Illinois' largest electricity provider, and it too is piloting blockchain as part of a bigger effort to explore the utility as a platform business model. Kristen Brown is a technology expert at the Utility of the Future team at ComEd, and she and I spoke about where blockchain fits into that future. We started by exploring the utility as a platform concept. What that means is that we're no longer just a bunch of poles and wires in the ground. We're a system by which customers can interact with each other. So when we think about the platform model, it's combining that physical infrastructure up to the customer-facing marketplace and ensuring that every layer of the utility is centered around the customer. So enter blockchain. You mentioned peer-to-peer as being one of the applications that you're thinking about. Um, blockchain is obviously a catalyst for peer-to-peer energy trading. Um, unpack what peer-to-peer means to you first and where blockchain enters the picture there. Yeah, so that's the million-dollar question. What does peer-to-peer mean? And that's something that we still grapple with every day. So to bring in this concept of customer optionality, that's really what peer-to-peer means. Peer-to-peer can mean Kristen gives extra energy to Stephen. It could mean that I save money on my electric bill. I want to donate that to a church. It could mean I'm interacting with an aggregator for a demand response event. Peer-to-peer can mean a lot of different things. And where I see blockchain coming in, and to be frank, if, if we got through a conversation with my senior executive team and never mentioned blockchain, that's a win. Right, We care about peer-to-peer, we care about the customer, blockchain is a means to that. But in a deregulated service territory, in a competitive retail space, 
blockchain can potentially provide the opportunity for us to unlock access to our customers who are willing participants in a market for third-party interaction and third-party engagement. As I think a lot of startup companies struggle with is access to data, access to customers. The utility wants to provide the ability for customers to easily give access to, to their own information. And I think blockchain provides the ledger that that has the, the security, immutability, and, and privacy measures that, that would satisfy our customer privacy needs. How did ComEd first start talking about blockchain to begin with, and, and um, how did you get involved? So the conversations around blockchain predated me. I came in to ComEd and was directed towards our peer-to-peer work and our transactive energy work. And what's been interesting around the peer-to-peer conversations is that most of the companies right now looking to the peer-to-peer and transactive side are blockchain companies. So even internally, when we talk about this, it's sort of hard to differentiate peer-to-peer from blockchain because they're so intertwined. So it, it was almost by happenstance, starting with peer-to-peer, starting with the customer, and then being led to this technology that can enable it. And, and you didn't have a background in blockchain. They were like, well, you have your doctorate. You're, you're an intelligent person. Like, go figure out blockchain. <laughs> yeah, so my doctorate is in um, physical chemistry, and I did electron flow through the photosynthetic reaction center, um, which is complicated, but not blockchain. So yeah, so it, it was, you know, go figure it out. We're interested and, and see what it can do. And I will say our senior team is, they want to understand it, right? This isn't blockchain is here to stay. You want to know it. It's I want to dive into the technical details, go through white papers, and, and tell me why this is better than anything else. So there, it's good to have that involvement, but it's it does require some extra technical due diligence. Do you, or does the senior team believe that, that blockchain is better than anything else, or are you still trying to answer that question? We're still trying to answer that question. I think, and you heard at the, the conference that they're, Blockchain might not always be the only solution. In a lot of cases, it's not the only solution. But as long as we're having to take leaps forward, we may as well at least put some small bets on technologies that could really be groundbreaking. And tell me about the pilots that you have unfolding right now related to blockchain. So we're in conversations that aren't currently public with some companies around blockchain, and they span the... They, they spanned industries like solar and thinking about new types of proof of X algorithm. So of course, moving away from proof of work into some other interesting methodologies, that's more on the academic level. But then we're looking at things like energy efficiency. The state of Illinois has pretty aggressive energy efficiency goals. And are there ways to unlock creative financing through blockchain to help lower the cost of of adoption of energy efficiency measures. And then, of course, I think like everyone, we're looking at the transactive energy side and integration with the value of DER and and how do you provide, again, that customer optionality and and allowing them to capture the value from the assets like their EV storage or solar that they own. You just touched on a couple important concepts that I think are important to go into more detail on. 
uh, new financial structures using blockchain, DER management, energy efficiency. So how might blockchain assist you with extracting more value from distributed resources and efficiency and making it easier for the customer and for yourself? So the reason that we're thinking about energy efficiency and value creation, there's two reasons there. The first is that the state of Illinois has aggressive energy efficiency targets, and we want to provide an opportunity for people to capture more value from that. The second is that energy efficiency is something that's well understood, and there's an easy means for value creation through the standard rebate model. So blockchain comes in with energy efficiency through tracking the efficiency measures through a more aggressive and innovative M&V measurement. So with energy efficiency, let's hypothetically say we'll look at a controllable load like an electric hot water heater. There's value that can be captured from that hot water heater just through energy efficiency. That's the reduction in kilowatt hours. That has a value to the customer. That also has a value, value to the grid through something like reduced capacity. We want to be able to track that and provide value from that. But if we start to use that to then scale towards something like demand response, we can start to unlock different types of value. And then for, say, a small and medium business or a CNI customer, provide them a higher level of value and in more savings to help offset the initial capital cost of that investment. There's a question that a lot of folks keep coming back to, and the question is, why blockchain? And it seems like it's something that comment is is working through right now. Um, and there are a lot of you know communication protocols, verification systems, security systems that kind of perform the same function as a blockchain. And I'm just curious, like, um, you know, how do you sort through those different te technological capabilities and and, uh, and eventually like make the assessment of, oh, this is something that can provide something completely different than anything else that's out there. So the, the why blockchain question for us really has to do with the immutability of that ledger and the ability to allow access from third parties. So we're in a competitive retail market where we have innumerable service providers that all want similar types of information from us. There's a role for blockchain to play in providing them access to that information, say that's hypothetically AMI usage data. Right now, that process is gated by a pretty intense review process, as, as you might expect, given that it can lead towards um, or, or that it requires customer buy-in. But blockchain might allow a greater opportunity for a customer to allow access to that data, similar to Green Button, but in a more real-time format. So blockchain, again, I think provides some of the the security around that and knowing who's accessing what information it allows the customer to gate the access to that information and it really sets a more comprehensive and cohesive platform around the utility that allows for plug and play in ways that some of these more siloed say it solutions don't don't holistically provide it's interesting uh, hearing the way you describe this because clearly you see this as a competitive advantage. You see this as good for your customers, good for your bottom line. Um, and, and there's this, I think there's a general aura around blockchain that somehow this is, but you're going to cut out whole swaths of industries, cut out the middleman. Um, 
whether that be uh, major financial institutions or large utilities and connect customers directly to third parties. Um, of course, that's going to happen, but it sounds like you see yourselves fundamentally as fundamentally as still central to those transactions. So I think there are industries that do have to worry about disintermediation. Blockchain, the peer-to-peer -peer aspect is fundamentally designed to eliminate a centralized body. Where the utility sits, though, is on a system of poles and wires, which electricity will always have to flow through, unless we move to some world of sending electricity like through the air or something, which is probably pretty far off. But we, I don't think we do worry about disintermediation. We've been fortunate enough to be working with startup companies who want to know our needs, who want to be a platform, because they also see customer value being unlocked. At the end of the day, we have a lot of touch point with our customers. We have a great relationship with our customers, and we want to provide them with the most hype of value. So... I think that while there are certain services that are that that disintermediation is is a risk towards, I don't see the distribution utility being one of those that's immediately threatened. What's your personal belief about the potential of blockchain? Uh, again, I think when 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 we're having these conversations, we're often talking about reinventing entire industries. So is that the lens that you're you're viewing this, or are you still kind of looking at individual use cases? I mean, there has to be this sort of end picture that you imagine. And if there is a level of disintermediation, that does kind of fundamentally change the picture 10, 20, 30 years out. So where are we on a, this trajectory? Yeah. So personally, I struggle with that a lot because especially in the electric industry, you can have companies move in a variety of different ways, right? The distribution utility could become just poles and wires. And you have an external body managing the customer relationship, managing that flow through something like blockchain that disintermediates the customer relationship. Or you can have the utility maintaining that customer relationship and providing access of third parties to, to a customer base that they maintain the relationship of. Where I see blockchain right now, I think there's two points. One is that, as we all know, it's still in such early stages. So the, the technology in its final form and in its non-pilot form is still very much to be determined. But I would say what it's done in a very important way that I get excited about is that it's catalyzed a conversation around new business models that... I think DER providers have been wanting for a while, but without a plan on how to integrate those new business models and how to provide value. So that catalyzing of conversations with the utilities who want to be more innovative, with the regulators, like you see New York and California, who are looking to try new things, that's what blockchain's really brought to bear today. And that's what, for us, a lot of the value is, is bringing these conversations to the forefront. I'm sure you talk to a lot of startups and companies that are looking to partner with utilities. There's a common saying in this industry that blockchain companies are hammers looking for nails. You know, they're, they have a solution. They're looking for a problem to solve. Do you, do you see a lot of that in your conversations with startups across this space? So I saw that more early on. And I think there is a big desire of these startup companies to come with the solution that they've identified 
let's call it transactive energy, go to a utility and say, I can change your world. I can allow people to sell kilowatt hours to each other. I can alleviate capacity constraints. I'm in a service territory that doesn't have capacity constraints today. And so that, that hammer isn't relevant to me. What we've started to see though, when companies realize that one business model does not fit all utility service territories, is a, a much stronger view towards partnerships and to sit down and say, I have a technology, I know it's valuable, what are your needs? And how can we design something together to, to find the right way to demonstrate value and set the stage to increase that value as it becomes, as it becomes possible? There are now a bunch of demonstration and pilot projects in North America and around the world. I'm curious how you track success when you engage in these partnerships and start experimenting. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there's been a lot of concern around how to set milestones and targets around some of these pilots. With the peer-to-peer the -peer work specifically, what we're interested in is customer engagement and customer value. And at the end of the day, if we create a market structure and our customers aren't enrolling in it and they're not transacting on it, something's gone wrong. And what's great about the blockchain pilots and really pilots in general, when you have a good partner, you know how to pivot. And so if we start, say, with small and medium businesses and there's no value there, we can think about pivoting to residential customers. We can think about pivoting to large CNI customers and iterate in those fashions. Success, though, is a much different story, and that's market success and that's technical success. Blockchain, I think we'll learn about the technical success as we learn about scalability. And if transaction costs get too high and transaction times take too long and you see a decreased customer participation. So really at the end of the day, the services we're talking about are customer interaction because they find value in the new services that are being provided to them. Well, you're neck deep in blockchain. What about the senior executives that you talk to? How do you relay this up? Do they even think about blockchain itself like you are? So that's a really good question. And on one hand, we have one senior executive that wants to learn everything about it. And when I tried to put together a high-level presentation, he said, no, 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 I want to know the math, right? At which I say, oh, okay, give me a couple weeks and I'll come back to you. But for the most part, we're not talking about blockchain. We're talking about the value blockchain can unlock either for our customers or from a cost reduction standpoint. So if I can get through an entire conversation about those new types of value, never having to use the word blockchain, I think that's a benefit. The last thing I want to do is have to explain Bitcoin and CryptoKitties and things people see in the news. We're, we're focusing on value and, and blockchain is just the means to create that value. Again, that's Kristen Brown, a business tech specialist with Commonwealth Edison. It's getting easier to talk about energy blockchain, but it's not an easy area to invest in. It's already getting crowded. There's tons of froth. There's a lot of pressure to get in the market, creating a bubble-like atmosphere. So how are investors approaching it? Scott Clavenna sat down with Michael Horwitz, a partner with Greentech Capital Advisors, to ask exactly that. Greentech, no affiliation with Greentech Media, uh, manages sustainability funds for institutional investors. I guess the key thing that I'm interested in when I'm talking to anyone in the financial industry or in investors is really like how is this particular sector or thesis different from the other ones that are, that are out there? 
project finance, any other venture, um, capital into technology, sectors in energy. There, there feels something very unique about blockchain um, along a lot of different aspects. And one of the unique things seems to be there, how nascent this market is, yet how much money they're able to create or mint or raise through coin offerings and, and the, the way in which these companies um, are started through white papers and ideas and then immediately get financed and that those tokens are to some extent immediately liquid. It's a very odd financial structure around a very nascent industry. And so how does someone, uh, an investor or someone, an investment banker, begin to really understand this space? Sure. So I kind of look at this um, differently than, than we see, you know, project finance or other mechanisms that have been born out of the last 10 or 15 years of the new energy era. This is a combination of business model and technology. And that intersection, I think, is what's causing all this exploration by you know, the folks that are here at this conference, by um, venture capitalists and by advisors like myself. Um, notably, because the technology aspect is so complex right now, and there is such disagreement on how these platforms evolve. And you just heard a moment ago that there's not even real uh, agreement if, if Ethereum could be the proper platform, if that's a, the fundamental technology that people will work off of. Yet, Microsoft Azure has dined, uh, designed Ethereum inside of it. So the confusion kind of prevails when you have this kind of discovery occurring. But the intersection of business model and technology with blockchain, I think, is especially interesting because both are needed as you evolve the new energy world. As it relates to the kind of availability of financing and perhaps some of the, um, the hype around it, you know, it's not too different than 25 years ago when I was starting out on Wall Street. And, you know, two guys in a room with some sort of internet business plan was getting financing as well. Um, yet then we were doing it through traditional IPOs and you had hundreds and hundreds of IPOs through the course of 97 and year 2000. And this time we're using different funding mechanisms, some of them traditional with VCs and corporate VCs uh, participating, but then a whole host of token offerings, which are at, acting as its own way of financing business plans. So yeah. that is different, but the excitement and the ability to raise uh, capital in a frothy market, that's as old as time. And so how do you go about diligence in a market this nascent too then? You, you know, in, in so many other established VC areas or investment making areas, there's a, you've got a deep diligence network experts you can um, draw on your own institutional experience in the room. With something this new, how do you, how do you think about diligence? You know, you can hear the best story you've ever heard, but how do you test it against? You just heard utilities, they haven't kicked the tires yet. It's all in white papers. What, what does diligence look like? You know, a, a couple of things. For, first off, I, I'm imagining that, you know, over the next 10 years, the back half of that period is going to be when the real leaders emerge. So what's happening right now and how people are investing or experimenting with different uh, startup companies, I think is important. And that's how things evolve and people get more comfortable how you go about a process of diligence and how you develop a thesis for an investing strategy. When it's this early, it's all about the people because a team is going to have to pivot multiple times in this sector to be a winner. 
And I, I don't think there's any way to do this without having a team that's proven they can pivot. And if it's in some other industry and they've decided to take those skill sets and some other experiences at various startups and apply it to blockchain, that's fine. I, I think that, ex, that experience is super important because this is so dynamic. Have you seen any? I mean, not to be flipped, but I've read a ton of energy blockchain white papers and the teams are all typically very young software engineers and no former you know, startup experience. Are you, are you finding exceptions to that? So what I would say is there are some teams out of Europe that have had some success in other uh, parts of their careers. Uh, I think the team at Slock has actually got some, some resumes there that would make me think as an investor, okay, this could be interesting. These, these folks have proven their ability to be out in front of things and to act in a dynamic way. Um, to be clear, you know, it's kind of this combination of, you know, there's kids in school right now that are going to be smarter about blockchain than the people that are doing it today. And you got to marry that intelligence with folks that have actually started businesses. That's not perfect right yet. Um, some of what's occurring is kind of these uh, startup companies partnering with large strategics around industrials and utilities. And that's kind of becoming maybe the pathway and the experience. But no, I'm not seeing uh, some of the best entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley having pivoted in a blockchain in any real way yet that allows people like Sequoia or the real premier VCs to get comfortable with. They bet on, you know, John two other times, and this is the third time they're betting on him. So from the investment banking side, M&A and advisory, how much activity do you expect in the near term versus the frothy activity and just fundraising right now? So with regards to M&A, probably not much at all. Um, as, a, as it looks right now, the questions we're getting are from, as I say, the very large industrials, the integrated oil companies, the European uh, and Asian utilities. Almost every conversation we have with them uh, has some sort of blockchain thread. A lot of it is how they can think about allocating capital in a small way. So really around corporate venturing. But it's, you know, these conversations are also getting the C-suite of huge organizations because it seems like an existential threat they need to pay attention to. So we find ourselves on the advisory side helping with the large incumbents think about how they can allow capital formation in perhaps a very um, shotgun approach and make a lot of little bets, get a view into what these companies are doing and ultimately, they, they'll build a thesis around that. And that's when you're going to get real M&A. From what you've seen so far, what applications or models are at least rising to the top of having significant interest from those strategics or big industrials versus what we're hearing around transactive energy is the, you know, the, the sexy application? I think the, uh, the easiest thing to convince the utilities is how to use blockchain to make them more efficient and productive of what they're already doing. And so the ideas of uh, new technology around blockchain creating new revenue streams, I think is still a little bit out on the edge and not really proven, sounds really good. But uh, to my way of thinking, what's, what's going to become, what's going to be the building blocks to allow what already exists to be more efficient and hopefully give them some moat around what's now a 100-year-old business model 
uh, on the flip side of that, I'm super interested in uh, the adoption of microgrids and district energy systems and using blockchain within those systems that then create some revenue opportunities in those regional formats. To me, that that could be where early adoption is. And in fact, we're already hearing from a lot of our big utility clients that they can wrap their head around that a lot more easily than they can on how they're going to develop a new revenue model to their customer. Well, that wraps up our conversations on the future of blockchain. I hope these couple of episodes were helpful for you. I know it was helpful for us for thinking through the implications here. Uh, we don't want to overcover this subject, but we do want to be clear about its potential as well. So if you're itching for more, you can you can find more at GTM Squared. As I mentioned, Scott Clavena is writing this regular column, tracking what companies are doing, um, how platforms are evolving what kind of deals are flowing. It's such a good resource, and GTM Squares get access to that. They also get access to the live stream of all our panel discussions at the GTM Blockchain Forum in New York City. That was a really cool event. That's what sparked a lot of these conversations and big thinking about where the industry is headed. And uh, so there are just a ton more experts that we didn't even get to who offer their insight. You can find all the archives there and all the archives for our other conferences as well. And just one last housekeeping item. We've got our solar summit, our 11th annual solar summit coming up in San Diego. And uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can get a 20% discount by using the promo code podcast on checkout. Greentechmedia.com slash events is where you'll find information on that. So a lot of good resources there for you to explore. And I'm sure blockchain is going to come up at that summit and all our other summits. Again, we'll um, try to be rational about where this space is headed. So for Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey. This is the Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. We will catch you next week.